From Schwartz Media, I'm Ange McCormack. This is 7am. Australia is home to some of the hottest towns in the whole world. In the Northern Territory, remote communities with large Indigenous populations know how to live in extreme heat. But even they say they're seeing the climate change before their eyes, making their homes less and less livable. So what lessons can First Nations peoples impart about surviving the heat? And could the secret to adapting to climate change be simpler than we thought? Today, contributor to the Saturday paper, Declan Brennan, on how Indigenous resilience and cultural knowledge can help us cope in a climate crisis. It's Thursday, August 24. Declan, you've been speaking to people who are living in some of the hottest places in Australia. Can you give me an idea of how extreme conditions have changed and how extreme they've become in the Northern Territory? So I talked to a gentleman, a Wurrumungu elder called Norman Frank in Tripurulu, and he gave a really vivid description of the heat, that sometimes you would be walking and you'd feel sticks in your feet. I walked up the street one day and the sole was coming out of my boot. I just couldn't walk anymore. My boots were all melted when I was a little young fellow. And one of the stories that really impacted me was driving into Tennant Creek, the traditional smell was cooking kangaroos, and that's not there anymore. Now we go out bush, we don't see a kangaroo, not even, not even one hopping around now, because this climate can kill all our kangaroo and they're all gone somewhere. I don't know where they're gone, but... There's not even a track out there now. And from my discussions with First Nations people and people who are familiar with Tennant Creek, there was a belief that kangaroos could never die of thirst because there was always watering holes available for them. And they're dying. And there's trees that are burning and dying that have provided shade for people during the hottest part of the day, and they're not there anymore. Tennant Creek is a very small population. It's less than 4,000 people about 50% First Nations people. It suffers quite large levels of poverty. Power costs are very, very high. And a lot of the houses are not built for the climate. They're built with concrete walls or brick walls. They're, they're hot boxes. One of the people who lives there told me that in winter, it's freezing because there's no insulation. And in summer, it, it's a hot box. You have to sit outside. Mm. And from a, a scientific standpoint, how hot can the days get and how many hot days a year are we seeing out there? So if we look at uh, north of Tennant Creek, we've got a place called Catherine, which is about 320 kilometres south of Darwin. That averages about six days over 40 degrees a year. In 2019, they got 54, which is you know, a ridiculous number. Yeah, that's huge. So what kind of impact does that extreme weather have on a community? From October, for example, in Catherine, they have a thing called the build-up, which perhaps Westerners might know as uh, going tropo or mango madness. And the heat is just so oppressive that we see rates of domestic violence going up, we see rates of sexual violence going up, and we see appearances at hospital from heat-related diseases going up considerably. And this season now is getting longer and it's getting more intense and the off-season, which would be where some businesses or some things like construction want to work longer or do a lot of their work, that's now minimising because the 
mango madness season is getting longer. And Declan, with more extreme weather on the rise, we know that these conditions are going to get worse, not better. How are these issues being addressed on a day-to-day level and how are they being studied? The study that I've been looking at is a study in The Lancet, which was um, authored by Dr Simon Quilty from Australian National University. Uh, And he has spent a considerable amount of time in the Northern Territory as a GP, worked in Alice Springs. He worked in Catherine for quite an extensive period of time and some other smaller areas. Well, I guess I grew up in Sydney and uh, moved to the Northern Territory uh, as a junior doctor. And what's been really clear over the last 20 years is it's definitely getting hotter. We're now at the point of experiencing threshold temperatures that kill biological entities, and that includes human beings. And there was a complete deficit in the Northern Territory of anybody taking any notice of it. There's been years of... And he's been looking at the heat mortality rates of comparison between Indigenous people and non-Indigenous people. And Dr Quilty and his team looked at 32,000 deaths between 1980 and 2019. Um, and so what the, the first finding was that the whole population is becoming more vulnerable to heat over time and not less, and that is despite this overarching increasing access to more air-conditioned spaces. And, so we and can you talk to me a bit about air conditioning and what Dr Quilty's research found about that? Because it's often, you know, it's seen as, a, I guess, a solution. You know, the, the temperatures and the climate are getting hotter. Put in some air conditioning to help cool us. Can you explain what Dr Quilty found about the benefits and drawbacks of cooling via air conditioning? So the study doesn't bag out air conditioning in any way. But what it does is it says that I think there is a massive reliance in Western society for technology to be the saviour for us all. And Dr Quilty was chatting to me and he was saying that, you know, even the, the setting that we put on air conditioning at 21, 22 degrees is based on a really outdated model when we should be sitting in at 26, 27 degrees and making us more, not adept, but sort of being able to sort of be used to that outside and inside environment. And so we hypothesise that air-conditioned spaces is actually... Uh, preventing people's bodies from acclimatising to the heat. We know that a body takes about 15 days to acclimatise to the heat. If you spend all of your life inside an air-conditioned space, your body simply doesn't acclimatise, and more than that... But then at a macro level, when we look at um, medical issues, people are not being able to adapt to the heat when they're spending so much time in colder climates or colder insides, and it becomes very, very difficult, especially for people who are slightly older, I think. So the second finding that we had was that Aboriginal people were less vulnerable to heat than non-Aboriginal people, which was really startling when you consider that all of the health conditions that affect Aboriginal people are really because of housing. So really, Which shows that there is a, an ability of people, like First Nations people, to survive the heat at a better rate than people who've maybe been inundated with air conditioning. People. And so our hypothesis is that culture is what's protecting Aboriginal people and it is extraordinarily rich. Um, and I, so I, guess, you know, I think the research finds just the incredible resilience of First Nations people in some of the harshest climates in the world. And non-Indigenous communities have so much to learn from that. Coming up after the break, how a simple daily activity could be the answer to adapting to extreme heat. Need a reminder of what political leadership looks like? Australia's master of political satire, Jonathan Biggins, is back embodying the iconic Paul Keating. 
visionary, reformer, and rabble-rouser. Due to overwhelming demand, one-man comedy The Gospel According to Paul is returning to the Opera House, on from the 4th to 23rd of June for its final term ever. Secure your tickets now at sydneyoperahouse.com for an unforgettable evening. As a a 7am listener, you're already familiar with many of the journalists who work for the Saturday Paper. For a limited time, subscribe to Australia's leading independent news source, The Saturday Paper, and you'll receive The Saturday Paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. Declan, we've been talking about this new research into heat-related mortality in remote areas of Australia, and there's this finding that technology, you know, air conditioning and cooling might not be the answer. What are Indigenous communities doing that protects them from the heat? When I spoke to Norman Frank, he explained to me this idea of guarda, which is listening, or in his language he said it's a direct correlation to ears. And it's about listening and seeing and watching and understanding how people deal with the environment that they are in. And I think that's just something that I don't think a lot of us really do. For me, and, 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 and quarter is something like people don't listen. In my way, we say, you got no ears. It's like we trying to tell you something, you go through one ear, come at the other ear. Quarter is waranga, it's like he's mad, he's not listening. In Indigenous communities in general, there is just an understanding that climate and the weather is the main, is the boss. Do you want to destroy your brain in that heat or you stay in the, stay in the shade, just quarter? You know, it's just the same thing. You, you're going to listen to yourself or you want to destroy yourself? You wanna, you gotta, you and you've got to listen to that and you've got to adapt to that because you can't dominate it. One of the, the most notorious, in, in a way, is, is having a nap in the middle of the day. And, and that doesn't necessarily mean sleeping per se, but staying out of the heat in the middle of the day. And it makes perfect sense if you think about the hottest part of the day is between 11 and 2 or 11 and 3. Why would you go out in the sun and deal with that? If we need to go hunting, we'll go hunting, you know, late in the afternoon, cool, or early hours in the morning, or we'll wait for winter. If we want to go out way out in the desert, we'll wait for winter. We'll walk out there winter time. So it'll be nice and cool, and summer, it'll be too hot and dry. You can't walk out there, no way. And this idea of guada, which is obviously at front of mind for Indigenous communities, is that something that researchers agree with as an effective solution for managing extreme heat? I think that from my reading and the people I've talked to, one of the biggest issues around climate change management in Australia or, or building or anything like that is a lack of consultation with First Nations people throughout the country and also overseas with other Indigenous cultures. People look at these incredible cultures that have survived thousands and thousands of years and there's a reason that has happened. Of course you can't disregard technology but there needs to be a conscious effort to discuss and utilise Indigenous knowledge, which is vastly more informed than anything we can offer. Like anything, if you've been somewhere for a much longer period of time, of course that's the the opinion that you should utilise. And I don't think people do that enough. And Declan, with the world heating up and places like the Northern Territory becoming more inhospitable, what are some other suggestions of what we can do about it? Yeah, I definitely think housing that's much more adept to the heat, 
much more when we think about insulation. I know Norman Frank has talked about solar panels in a previous discussion. That's a really important thing. But building and adapting to the heat by utilising local knowledge and trying to combine those two things to best survive. Because at the moment, it almost feels that despite all the recognition of climate change being the apocalypse we are going to face, we are acknowledging it and then ignoring so much advice on how to survive it. We, we acknowledge that it exists and we acknowledge we've got to change with things like greenhouse gases and cutting back on, on fuels. But then we're building things that are sort of, Norman Frank said, houses that are built for Yorkshire as opposed to Tennant Creek, you know. And I'm not a builder and I'm not a, an engineer, but I've talked to plenty of experts and they say that if you do not embrace Indigenous knowledge for these areas, more people will die. Because as Dr Quilty said, this is... The heat at the moment is an ecological disaster and that's not going to get better by ignoring people who've been experiencing it the most. Declan, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you very much. For Sloan Crosley, writing about the loss of a friend may not have provided catharsis, but it did allow for the possibility of a better ending. Like you have this amazing meal that's this friendship and then you have a really, 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 really bad dessert with shards of glass in it. And then like the book is like, you know, those little chunks of chocolate that come with the bill. I'm Michael Williams. Join me for this week's episode of Read This as I talk to Sloane Crosley about her latest Grief is for People. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Also in the news today, emergency authorities say almost the entire country can expect drier and warmer conditions this spring with an increased risk of bushfires in large parts of Australia. Residents in large areas of the Northern Territory, Queensland and New South Wales, as well as some parts of Victoria and South Australia, have been put on high alert. And there are concerns the Murray-Darling could soon run dry with another drought expected to impact eastern Australia in the near future. Federal Environment Minister Tanya Plibersek says the Murray-Darling Basin is in trouble after the timeline to return 450 gigalitres of water to the system was pushed out until the end of 2027. I'm Ange McCormack. This is 7am. We'll be back again tomorrow.